Peace to you. Thank you for joining me for the Naked Truth. We are going to pick up where we left off in the Old Testament book of 1 Kings. We are at chapter 18. If you want to read along with me, we're going to begin with verse 1. And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on earth. So the people that we're talking about, uh, is Elijah, that's the Old Testament prophet, person who's recognized as a prophet or a person in touch with the divine. Um, he's the um, being sent on a mission to Ahab, who's the king, the, so he's the governmental authority at the time, and um, Elijah's the religious authority. And the Lord, in English, that's being referred to at this time, is Jehovah just so we understand in case it's your first time reading with me how the English word Lord translates from many different other names and words throughout the Bible. Uh, Lord is just the general name in the Old Testament sometimes, many, many times. And one other thing about Elijah. Elijah is the same person who is reincarnated in, in plain English in the New Testament as John the Baptist, at least according to one of the Gospels, and according to Jesus Christ himself, but not everyone would be a, able to accept that teaching of Jesus's, but Jesus said it's the truth. Um, so he's been sent on a mission. Verse 2, so Elijah went to present himself to Ahab, and there was a severe famine in, his, in Samaria. So we got the area now, Samaria, same area as the Good Samaritan parable that Jesus uses in the Gospels. Um, and the, um, he's, Elijah's being faithful and gone on a mission. Um, and there's a famine at the time, meaning um, not quite like inflation, where there's plenty of food, just a, a ripoff in purchasing it, but not just food. But what we're reading about here, excuse me, in, um, um, in First Kings, is a famine where there's a food shortage, basically, um, or at least a food distribution shortage, because um, there's not always uh, a shortage of the commodity, just some many times there's a shortage of the will to distribute it equitably. Verse 3, and Ahab had called Obadiah, who was in charge of his house. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly, so Ahab has sent for someone else, uh, uh, another prophet, Obadiah. He even has, at least it's, there's a book named Obadiah among the prophets in the Bible. So could be the same one. I don't know. I'd have to get to that book with you and see. Um, but here the narrator is at least giving him credit for being very uh, devout and saying that he... Uh, feared the Lord greatly. Um, so verse 4, so it was when, oh, sorry, this page jumped. Verse 4, so, four, so it was while Jezebel, mm, oh, or so it was while Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord that Obadiah had taken 100 prophets and hidden them 50 to a cave and had 
fed them with bread and water. So Obadiah is sort of a rebel. He's um, hidden away some governmental um, uh, people with government warrants on them, on their heads. He's hidden them away. The government is after those um, prophets, religious leaders, um, presumably because their message spoke against the government. Jezebel is the governmental authority in that verse. She's uh, sort of like the wicked queen at the time. Um, I guess for all times, even the name Jezebel connotates, has that wicked woman connotation to it. Um, um, but so that's who we're talking about at this point in the story. And um, so he's not uh, going along with the corrupt government. Instead, he's protecting the um, prophets and feeding them and giving them shelter. Verse 5, and which would be a crime um, by uh, man's law. Verse 5, and Ahab had said to Obadiah, go in, go into the land and go into the land to all the springs of water and to all the brooks. Perhaps we may find grass to keep the horses and mules alive so that we will not have to kill any livestock. So the famine is including water. It's not just a food shortage. Apparently uh, there's drought also where there's not enough rain to sustain uh, the drinking water for the people. So um, it looks like they're on a verge of rationing. Um, so he's being sent on a mission for water. Um, but remember, he's been given a prophecy already by Elijah that he would basically call for water. Verse 6, so they divided the land between them to explore it. Ahab went one way by himself, and Obadiah went another way by himself. So the two are going to go look for water sources. Verse 7, now as Obadiah was on his way, suddenly Elijah met him, and he recognized him and fell on his face and said, Is that you, my lord, Elijah? So Obadiah, again, being, I think one of the Old Testament prophets, one of the minor prophets, so they're called because it's short books that they have in the um, Old Testament, um, is encountering Elijah, one of the major prophets from the Old Testament. Verse 8, and actually one of the only prophets in the whole book of the Bible that occurs and appears in the Old Testament and in the New. <clears throat> Excuse me, verse 8. And he answered him, it is I, and go, go tell your master, Elijah is here. So Elijah is affirming, yeah, it's me, go tell your boss. Verse 9, so he said, how have I said that you're delivering your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill? So um, Obadiah is saying, why would you send me with the, the bad news to the king, knowing how it seems to be reflecting on how some of the, sometimes the, they shoot the messenger, like when King David got bad news and killed the person who brought, took the bad news to him. So he's Obadiah, Obadiah is sort of, sort of maybe jokingly with Elijah saying, why would you send me on a, uh, with a death mission like that? What have I done to offend you? What wrong have I committed? What sin? Verse 10. As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to hunt, 
for you. And when they said he's not here, he took an oath from the kingdom or nation that could not find you, that they could not find you. So uh, Obadiah is letting Elijah know he's a hunted man. Elijah is, and that he's so hunted that in the case, in previous cases where the authorities were looking for him, were looking for him, would go to an area they'd make the people there swear that they aren't giving him shelter. Verse 11, and now you say, go tell your master Elijah is here. He's like, man, are you crazy? Now you're telling me to be the one to go deliver the news to him that a man he's hunting is right there in his presence. Verse 12, and it shall come to pass as soon as I am gone from you that the spirit of the Lord will carry you to a place I do not know. So when I go and tell Ahab and he cannot find you, he will kill. But I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. So Obadiah said, look, I'm a God-fearing person since I've been a, since I was a kid. So why in the world would you send me on a mission that would cost, why would he send him on a mission that would cost him his life? Um, someone who's tried to be righteous his whole life. Verse 13, was it not reported to my Lord what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord? How I hid 100 men of the Lord's prophets, 50 to a cave, and fed them with bread and water. So now Obadiah is um, even questioning Elijah's judgment, saying, haven't you heard the part that I played in the big picture of things? The small part in hiding the prophets when they were being hunted and feeding them and giving them refuge. Verse 14, and now you say, go tell your master Elijah is here. He will kill. So um, again, he's saying, so once again, it doesn't make sense to him that you want to repay his righteous works by sending him on a mission that's going to cost him his life. And if you've read me before, you know why I left the part about me out of the times he's mentioned about being killed. I've already had my life threatened plenty already. I don't need anyone else threatening it. So um, that's the one reason. I would recommend if you read that verse, you carefully read it as well as other parts of the Bible. Matthew 12, 37 would help explain it better than I ever could. Verse 15, then Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely present myself to him today. So, Elijah's reassuring him that he won't pull any funny business. If he goes and tells the king that Elijah's there, he won't disappear on him, making him look like a liar and leaving him hanging. He's going to be there to present himself just like he told him he would. So verse 16, so Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. So Obadiah's been faithful, kept his word. Now uh, Ahab has gotten the message that he can go see Elijah and let's see where they're at. He's gone to meet him. Verse 17, then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab sent to him, said to him, excuse me, is that you, O troubler of Israel? So even though Elijah has, um, he, he's been avoiding Elijah's presence before he even gets a chance to see him good he's already got sass in his mouth asking him and accusing him of being the one that's troubling the people troubling the land 
verse 18, and he answered, I've not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, and that you, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. So um, Elijah is clapped back with him with a response of him, no, I'm not the one troubling the people. It's you and your ways and your family and your household and the fact that they're caught up in idolatry and worshiping other gods and worshiping other religions. That's the offense and the problem for the people. Verse 19. Now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel. For the one, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's, Jezebel's table. So it's a huge army of just the religious folks. 800 different prophets. They have ministry to uh, Baal, the singular entity, and Asherah. Baal's a male entity, Asherah's a female one, um, but Asherah is singular there, but I think there's a word Asherim, I think it's not singular, I think it may even be a pantheon, a whole um, sort of laundry list of gods and goddesses, masters and mistresses that they worship as their entities. Um, they've got 800 prophets to tend to them. Verse 20. So Ahab sent to all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. So uh, Ahab is accepting the challenge and gathered the prophets, um, the 800 that Elijah told him to uh, uh, summon to Mount Carmel. Verse 21, and Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him, not a word. So Elijah is calling the people out, saying, enough with the unfaithfulness, pick a side. Either you're going to follow but one entity as the Lord, Jehovah as their God, or they're going to follow the Baals, the other entity as their God. And he's saying, choose a side already. And instead of them saying, okay, yeah, this is who we choose, one way or the other, they have silence. Crickets. The cat's got their tongue. So, let's see what happens next. Verse 22. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord. The Baal's prophets are 450 men. So, he's like, uh, he's one singular uh, representative of the one entity, Jehovah, that Lord um, that the people have off and on served through the Exodus years that we've read about. Um, but um, Baal, we've read about also, has made appearances again and, and again as an entity, article of worship, object of affection of worship for the people also along the way. Um, so I guess the people don't necessarily want to choose. Maybe they want to worship both and cover both their bases, all their bases. Um, let's see, verse 23, therefore, let them give us two bulls, let them choose one bull for themselves, cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put fire, put no fire under it, and I will prepare another bull and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. So the challenge, it continues, 
And Elijah is telling them, since they have so many on their side, to prepare a burnt offering, basically. And them offerings a bull, a male cow. Uh, one for their side, one for Elijah's side. Verse 24. Then you call on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he's God. So all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. So they're like, you got yourself a deal. We'll set up two places, altars for burnt offering, uh, two barbecue stands, grills basically, for two bulls. One for one bull for your side, Jehovah's side, one bull for Baal's side. And they're saying, and they're saying, fine, whichever, whoever is powerful enough to make their offering light on fire, then we no hand, no, no doubt about it, hands down, that one is the leader, that one is who's actually the Lord. So people have come to a, an agreement with um or a supernatural sign of who is gonna be God Almighty. Seems clear enough. Let's see. Verse um, 20. Are we to 20? Let's see. Verse. Further along than I thought. Sorry, the page jumped again. Um, okay, verse 25. Now Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, did we read that one too? Uh, I think we did. 25. So verse 26. So they took the bull, which was given them, and they prepared it and called on the name of Baal from morning even till noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice. No one answered. Then they leaped about the altar which they had made. So they built up an altar. I'm sorry, built up an altar and prepared the bull, the animal sacrifice for it, and um, prepared it and called on their entity, Baal. Baal, I think some people pronounce it as whatever, whichever it is. Please forgive me if I mispronounce it or any of these other names, as always. Um, but they've called on their entity and they haven't gotten an answer. They even put on a show jumping around on the altar. Verse 27, and so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry loud, for he is a god. Either he's meditating or he's busy, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's sleeping and must be awakened. So now Elijah's uh, calling them out for not being able to actually bring about any action from their god. It could be the same way in modern times where people uh, say they have faith, but they can't pull up, and I include myself in it, I can't just declare with a statement uh, that, oh, you're healed, and make somebody healed. I can't bring someone that I know of, can't bring back anyone's vision in an instant like that, or lay hands on someone like that, or in the case of what we're reading about here, uh, make a request to God verbally and expect, demand, and even get a verbal, audible response from God like the people we're reading about gets here. So it's all an article of faith. Uh, we're just reading it as it is. Um, and so, verse 28. So they cried aloud and cut themselves. 
as was their custom, with knives and lances until the blood gushed out on them. So they're doing what we call in modern times bloodletting, where people believe you'll get a supernatural response, just like they believe from animal sacrifices, blood being shed. People believe in modern times also that in cutting yourself, you can get a different response other than just the physical. And the, the cutting uh, doesn't have to be a, super, a spiritual, supernatural thing either. Some people do it um, as a psychological way of coping with other pains that they're demons, if you will, that they're wrestling with. And they can't deal with that. So to face that, they get hurt themselves physically in another way and just deal with the hurt that way. Um, so uh, the bloodletting is nothing new. They're doing it now, trying to get a response out of Baal. Verse 29, and when midday was passed, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. But there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. So now all day has gone by and it's just about time for that evening sacrifice. I think that's about three o'clock. Uh, yeah, the noon's gone. I think the three o'clock time for that offering is approaching. Verse 30, then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. So all the people came near to him and he prepared, repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. So now the old school altar that was broken down and abandoned has now been repaired. Um, and so I guess that's where Elijah's going to make his offering. Let's see. Verse 31. And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of his sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord had come saying, Israel should be your name. So now um, it's saying here, Elijah's taken 12 stones to represent the 12 tribes of by name of Israel, even though they're not 12 brothers, uh, there's a, he's saying that's it's the 12 that they're to represent, though. Uh, two of them are brothers that are not, the rest that are brothers, they're sons of one of the brothers, so is it 12 or is it more? It's kind of, uh, I don't know. Um, but that's who it's, that he's saying that the stones are to represent. Verse 32. Then with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar, large enough to hold two seeds of seed. So um, just giving, uh, he's made the altar, put the sacrifice there, and built a trench around it the same way you would build uh, a, like a fountain, a water pool around uh, an island, and like you make your own mini island, basically. Um, verse 33, and he put the wood in order, cut the bull in pieces, and laid it on the wood, and said, fill four water pots with water, and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. So now the sacrifice is in place, the wood is um, in place, and now he's saying drench the sacrifice and the wood with water. And they're also in place with that drench around the trench, excuse me, around them to catch the water when they do get drenched. Um, verse 34, then he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. So now the offering, the altar, the wood, 
area of getting drenched with water intentionally three different times. Verse 35, so the water ran all around the altar and he also filled the trench with water. So now everything's wet. The altar, the sacrifice, the wood, the for the burnt offering, and even the trench pits they dug around it are filled with water. It's all drenched. Um, verse 36, and it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. So now Elijah is saying a prayer over uh, at the time of the offering, because it's what it's time for. I don't know that it's 3 o'clock now. I think it might actually be the 6 o'clock one. I don't know. So I'll quote you on that. But it's that time, and he's making that offering. And the, he's saying Abraham, Isaac, and Israel instead of Jacob, but that's just so that we know Jacob and Israel, same person. Um, and then at some point, same nation. Um, the nation is named after the person. Um, so he's basically saying a prayer before the offering um, and saying that the prayer is that people realize he's only doing these things um, at the word of the instruction of the Lord. Verse 37, hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. So um, Elijah is praying that the people will take this as a sign to make them faithful again. Verse 38, then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. So just like that, in Elijah's prayer, a supernatural event happened, and the entire drenched offering and the water used to soak it including the wood, were all just like that, devoured by a flame and licked up dry. So obviously a supernatural event to occur. Um, verse 39, now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. So it was convincing enough for the people to witness that um, of the entire thing getting soaked snatched up just like that in an instant, that it was convincing enough for them to confess that who they believe the Lord to be God and to confess it like the every knee shall bow moment for them. Verse 40, and every tongue confess. And Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and executed them there. So now Elijah has gone an extra mile. He's taken it on himself to um, carry out the death penalty on the um, prophets of Baal, I guess, presumably false prophets, since they weren't able to cause the fire to swoop down and eat up their sacrifice, even though they claim to be representing the Baal on earth in the human form. They weren't able to do that. So now he's taking it out on them and executing them. But it seems to me the same power that was able to suck up the sacrifice and devour it, wouldn't that same power have had the notion, if it wanted to, 
to execute all of those prophets rather than have Elijah break one of the top ten commandments of thou shalt not kill? Let's see. Verse 41. And Elijah said they have go up and go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of abundance of rain. So I guess it's moved on. He's carried out the execution and killed off the 850 uh, prophets of Baal. And now he's saying, now look out. Now you're going to finally get rain on the land. I guess signifying that the uh, era of them worshiping that false religion is over. So that's, will break, that will break the uh, famine, the spell of the drought on the land. Verse 42, so Ahab, so Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel when he bowed down on the ground and put his face between his knees. So wait, I must have missed something. No, I guess not. Ahab has gone to basically celebrate, and Elijah is praying. Verse 43, and said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. So he went up. And looked and said, there's nothing. And seven times he said, go again. So presumably the sea he's talking about is the Mediterranean. He's telling his servant to go keep an eye out and watch a storm will arise basically from the Mediterranean and bring water to the land. And seven times it happened. Verse 44. Then it came to pass the seventh time that he said, there's a cloud as small as a man's hand, rising out of the sea. So he said, go up and say to Ahab, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. So now um, Elijah's giving his servant a message to go and give to the governmental authority, Ahab, to get a move on because if he doesn't, he's gonna be stopped by the rain. It's gonna be that much rain on its way, even though they've now been living with drought. Uh, verse 45, now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black and clouds and wind, with clouds and wind, and there was a heavy rain. So Ahab rode ahead, rode away, and went to Jezreel. So Ahab is listening to the word he got from Elijah, and he's hit it. He's gone on his way, and just as he's going, the storm that he predicted, Elijah that is, um, were on their way already heading into town. Heavy rain is on its way. Verse 46. Then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab at the entrance of Jezreel. So what it's saying there, what it seems to be implying there, is that a supernatural spirit, just like with Samson, um, when he would be uh, induced by the spirit, uh, a supernatural element overtook Elijah and caused him to be able to on foot run ahead of the chariot that Ahab is taking to head towards Jezreel. And they usually say in the power of the spirit. Um, here it's saying the hand of the Lord has um, somehow overtaken Elijah and he's empowered to do that and uh, run ahead of the chariot he's gone to go meet there. Elijah, again, is the one who has a unique role in the entire Bible by appearing in the Old Testament with a ministry and then appearing in the New Testament, continuing a ministry into Christianity 
as John the Baptist. And then appearing even after John the Baptist is beheaded, appearing a third time as the, um, I don't know how you would call it, if he's reincarnated as John the Baptist, he's re resurrected also as John the Baptist, but as Elijah, after John the Baptist is killed, um, and resurrected as Elijah in the New Testament, appearing on the Mount of Transfiguration, as it's called, uh, with Moses to Jesus, talking with Jesus and appearing to the disciples. That's this same Elijah. He has a unique role, like I said, throughout everyone in the Bible. Um, so um, that was the last verse, though, him running ahead to meet um, in Jezreel. Uh, so that's the last verse of this chapter. So that's where we're in this reading. As always, thank you for joining me for the Naked Truth. And also, as always, I hope it's a blessing for you and that you'll join me again. See you next time. I love you. Peace be with you.